Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part one of the Longevity Diet by Dr. Walter Longo. Walter Longo is the director of the Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and his studies focus on basic and clinical research on nutrition, aging, and diseases. So before I begin, I wanted to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to please leave a review and subscribe, and I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the description below if you want to send me a DM. So we're going to begin our story in Italy, where Dr. Walter Longo grew up, and he grew up in this little town called Mulcio, which is in the region of Calabria, and you get there by driving, in a, driving about an hour and a half north from the southernmost tip of Italy. So back in 1972, when Dr. Walter Longo was five years old, he spent some time in Mulcio with his mother, and both of them were there to kind of take care of his ailing, ailing grandfather. So his grandfather was very old, and he kind of tells this sad story of his grandfather dying in front of him and how since that moment, he's felt that dealing with aging and death was something that he was supposed to do and that he had to take charge of, of the situation somehow. So that was kind of the inspirational story of how he got interested in all this uh, aging, longevity and nutrition. So eventually, Dr. Walter, Walter Longo bounced around in Italy and eventually went from this region called Liguria to Chicago. So in 1984, he moved from Italy to Chicago and he ended up living with his aunt. And ever since he was young, he was a music crazed teenager. That's the way he described himself. He loved music, especially, uh, you know, the guitar. And he grew up in Chicago where he he graduated high school and he studied he studied jazz performance eventually in University of North Texas College of Music. So after he studied jazz at Texas, he decided to join the Army Reserve, and he made his way from Texas to Fort Knox, Kentucky. And when he was in the, in the Army, he ended up getting in really good shape, and he was telling stories of how he can run two miles in 10 minutes, and how he got super ripped and was able to do a bunch of push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, etc. And he states that his stint in the Army eventually got him interested in how and why different types of diets can improve health without negatively affecting muscle mass and strength. So he kind of gained this knowledge in the army and after finishing his boot camp, he ended up going to Denton, Texas, where he decided to pursue an undergraduate degree in jazz performance. So you can kind of see for the first 18 or so years of his life, he was really into this jazz and music. And he kind of has this cool cool passage where there's a, there's a lot of examples of how music training actually helped him with his scientific inquiry. So here's one of the favorite analogs that he, analogies he likes to use to explain uh, how there's music and science kind of, you know, his music training helped him with his science inquiry. So let's take the free radical theory of aging, which I discussed in David Sinclair's book. So we're going to use this free radical theory of aging, which holds that the antioxidants alone can extend the healthy human lifespan. So he states here, trying to extend your lifespan by increasing your intake of vitamin C is like trying to improve a Mozart symphony by increasing the number of cello players. The cello is a beautiful instrument, but to improve a Mozart symphony, you need to do better. You need to be a better composer than Mozart. Adding cellos alone won't do it. The healthy human lifespan is much more complex than a Mozart symphony. It took billions of years for it to reach the current state of near perfection. 
So he kind of uses this analogy showing that, again, just like David Sinclair, Walter Longos, he's showing that this free radical theory of aging, uh, it doesn't hold true. And we can't just add things to make us live longer. Or we can't just add cellos to make a symphony piece better. And another advantage that his musical studies gave him in his science was the ability to improvise. So when you're a scientist, you have to always be looking out for new ideas that might be you know, novel or surprising, but are also well-grounded. And he states that that's what improvising in music does. And composition as well. So composition forces you to write music that no one has ever written before. So again, this is pertaining to science in that music composers have to constantly push themselves to look for new ideas, new hypotheses, uh, and also one that is has this mathematical foundation. And is also, you know, very important is that it is in harmony with the human body and its history. So he states that this is, so you know, quote-unquote, in tune with evolution. And what he means by this is, let's say, for example, that we take a drug that lowers our glucose. And this is not really considered harmonious because this drug is actually disrupting our normal function of our organisms. And although this can lead to some temporary solution, for example, like let's, let's say a drug that lowers glucose, in the long run, it will actually have a lot, a lot of adverse side effects. So, so adding these drugs won't nece- is not necessarily in tune with evolution. Now, what is in tune with evolution is fasting. And it's in tune with our evolution because it's something that has been going on for literally billions of years. So, so fasting is in tune with our evolution because essentially this bacteria and even us as well for the most of human history we've been starved and needed to survive on minimal calories so he puts here that fasting and starvation is clearly one of the most powerful interventions we can rediscover to promote coordinated changes that do not disrupt the harmony of the human body so we kind of finish with the music and science analogy and we're going to move forward to aging program longevity and juventology so for the longest time and still even kind of to this day we've been focusing on theories of aging like the aging process and not necessarily on the potential for organisms to stay young so eventually 15 years ago this book was written in 2018 15 years ago he came up with this his own explanation of aging and he called it the programmed longevity theory. So he essentially proposed that an organism could, in fact, afford a greater investment in self-protection against aging, and that this could have important implications for human life and the prevention of diseases. Since by altering the longevity program, we could, po- we could postpone the age at which we begin to, be- to become frail and sick. So in other words, at the, basics, at the basic level and foundation of his program longevity is that this is a biological strategy to help influence longevity and health through cell protection and also regeneration to help us stay younger longer so that is his theory of aging and you can listen to the podcast before this about the information theory of aging that david sinclair ends up discussing so moving a little forward he ends up becoming a researcher at ucla And just like David Sinclair again, Walter Longo is focusing on yeast. And then he eventually, um, you know, does a lot of research on yeast. 
and kind of like David Sinclair, he was ignored at first for a lot of his findings. So after just one year, he made two important discoveries using using these yeast. First off, he states that if I starved yeast, if I starved yeast by removing all the nutrients available to them and giving them only water, they lived twice as long. And secondly, sugar is one of the nutrients responsible for yeast aging fast and dying early. It activates two genes, RAS and PKA, that are known to accelerate aging, and it's inactive inactives factors and enzymes inactivates factors and enzymes that protect against oxidation and other types of damage. So these are two very important discoveries that weren't weren't uh, accepted by the community. So for several years this was ignored and he discovered he gave a presentation uh, about this discovery at this sugar pathway conference and again he was ridiculed and a lot of his stuff wasn't accepted. So it ended up taking like another six years for his data on on this sugar to become actually published and eventually he you know he was right all along so fi- people finally came around so after studying these yeast he kind of took his studies to a different area so he puts here that knowing that dwarf yeast with longer long longevity mutations in the growth genes tor sk6 could live up to five to six times longer than normal yeast he kind of started researching this this Tor SK6 uh, mutations, and he started his research on a human version of this growth gene known to correlate to record longevity. So he began to kind of turn to the work of this man named uh, Jaime Guevara Agueri, who was an endocrinologist. And this man, Agueri, he was actually studying this population in Ecuador who lacked a receptor mutation for the growth hormone. And this disease you can look up is called Larin, L-A-R-R-O-N syndrome. So essentially there's these people in Ecuador, they're very short, and they have this mutation in the growth hormone gene. But what's, what's interesting about this population is that after five years of working together, Dr. Walter Longo and this guy published his findings and concluded that there was a major decrease in incidence of cancer and diabetes in subjects with Larin syndrome, despite their poor diet and unhealthy lifestyle choices. And furthermore, they also published the studies on brain function as well and concluded that these Larin group of people, they had cognitive functions that is typical of a younger individual. So he has this cool picture where he's standing next to these Larin people that are very short. He's like six two, six three. And uh, these people, they are living longer, living healthier. You know, they're not dying from cancer or diabetes. And their brain function is a lot better. And it's all because of this growth hormone receptor mutation. So he puts here, the mutation is in the growth hormone receptor gene that these Ecuadorians carry, which appears to force the body to enter and stay in an alternate longevity program, characterized by high protection, regeneration, and low incidence of disease. So uh, we're moving forward and he puts here that if aging is the central risk factor for all major diseases, it's much smarter to intervene on aging itself than try to prevent and treat diseases one by one. And this point was heavily emphasized by David Sinclair as well. So if you listen to the podcast before, 
you remember the part where I was talking about David Sinclair and when you when you would walk into his research building, you would see different rooms for different things that people are suffering from. For example, like one side of the room was studying cancer in the back. Maybe people were studying diabetes. On the other side, people were studying, you know, Alzheimer's. Essentially, you know, all these factors that are that are caused by aging were being studied, but actual aging itself was not being studied. So stuff upstream of all these diseases were not being studied. So, I mean, this is something David Sinclair and Walter Longo have in common is that if aging we know is a central risk factor for all these diseases, it's a lot smarter to just intervene on aging itself than try to prevent all these diseases one by one. So we can reduce the risk of cancer and many other diseases by acting on this longevity program and we now know that we can do this through our diet. So we go into a little bit more science where we talk about how sugars and proteins affect key genes and pathways widely recognized to accelerate aging. So again, I know I keep talking about David Sinclair's book a lot, but in David Sinclair's book, he states that there aren't actually genes that accelerate aging. There's only really protective genes. So this is kind of where David Sinclair and Walter Longo differ. I mean, David Sinclair was always saying that it's not built in our system to have accelerated aging genes, but we do have protective genes like AMP kinase and sirtuin activation and mTOR inhibitors. We have genes that help protect us and keep us living longer, but there aren't genes that accelerate aging because we weren't meant to have you know accelerated aging. But here, Walter Longo is stating that there are genes that are accelerating aging. So he points to the TOR-S6K protein kinase A or PKA, RAS, and IGF. So these four are kind of the main culprits to the acceleration of aging. And I'm I'm guessing what he means by this is really that these are the genes that are driving the cancer. These are the genes that are driving the inflammation. So I mean, you can you can pick sides on whether you think there are aging genes or or only longevity genes if you want to side with Sinclair. Um but essentially Walter Longo is stating stating that TOR, PKA, RAS, and IGF are all contributing to accelerating aging. And to maximize and reprogram longevity in the human body, we need to continue to study how different diets control these genes and then apply longevity, this longevity program to all the diseases associated with aging. So moving a little bit forward, we kind of talk about these five pillars that Dr. Walter Longo established uh, but before I talk about the five pillars, he has this short passage about who do you listen to. So because everyone eats, everyone feels he or, he or she knows enough about food and health to give advice. So recently a woman asked him what he thought his son should be eating to stay healthy. And after he he gave his, this mom the advice, she responded, quote, I think the best thing to do is eat everything in moderation. So then he responded back to her, why would you fly on an airplane that you had personally designed? Why would you be willing to make key decisions that affect whether you or your loved ones will get cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and many, many other illnesses based on the silly idea that one should eat in moderation? What does that even mean? So essentially he's shutting down this woman, sta- stating that, you know, what does moderation even mean? And why are you taking advice from people who 
you know aren't specialists in in uh, in the subject so again he he's just stating that we should be very wary of who we're taking advice from uh my personal opinion we need to listen to people who are actually studying in the labs and looking at meta analysis and in clinical data instead of following like some random youtuber who has 200,000 subscribers you know what i mean focus more on these people who actually know what they're talking about like Walter Longo like David Sinclair like Peter Atia people like this who are actually you know up to date on the research so moving on to the five pillars of longevity how do you decide what's right for your health and what's wrong so he uses these five pillars to determine whether a nutrient or combination of nutrients is good or bad for health and to identify the ideal combination of foods for optimal longevity so let's let's establish these five pillars so the first one is basic slash juventology research so without understanding how nutrients like proteins and sugars affect cellular functioning aging and age dependent dependent damage and regeneration it's kind of difficult to determine the type and quantity of nutrients needed to optimize healthy longevity so we need these animal studies to determine whether a diet can in fact extend longevity in addition to having acute effects on general health. So, that's kind of like the first pillar of research is this juventology/basic research. Now, the second one is epidemiology. So, we need to be looking at actual populations and studying populations based risk risk factors is crucial to testing hypotheses and also generated generated by basic research. So, for example, this is the example he uses. If you hypothesize that excess sugar promotes abdominal fat storage and resistance to insulin, epidemiological research should confirm that people who consume high quantities of sugar have a high waist circumference and an increased risk of diabetes. And so that's the, that's the second pillar, epidemiological studies. Third study third pillar is clinical studies. So hypotheses formulated in basic and epidemiological studies eventually must be tested in randomized controlled clinical trials. This is this is obvious. Now the fourth one, the fourth pillar is centenarian studies. So studies of various centenarian populations from around the world provide long-term evidence of the safety, efficacy, and compliance associated with a particular diet. So basically we need to be looking at these these longevity areas these blue zones where a bunch of people who are over the age of 100 of the age of a uh, 100 how exactly they're they're eating they're living so this is one of the pillars now the last pillar is the studies of complex systems so Walter Longo is very fascinated with reductionism and physics and the need to simplify the human body's complexity by identifying machines that can serve as models to teach us about the function and also loss of function of human organs and systems. So this this last pillar is really about providing any reference points and also using analogies. So those are the five pillars that he comes up with. Now let's apply these five pillars uh, of longevity. So let's take the very common Atkins diet that uh you know was a huge fad. So this is a very popular high protein high fat and low carb diet. So he states that should you go on this diet just because an expert told you that a small clinical trial or even a large epidemiological study shows that it causes weight loss and may, and may low, lower cholesterol. 
So when you actually look at the multidisciplinary studies, you kind of realize that this high protein, high saturated fat and low carb diet is one of the worst things for your health. So populations with recorded longevity do not eat this way. And theoretical clinic and epidemiological studies, again, supporting this kind of diets long term and longevity benefits are very few. Also, if you look in the lab as well, you can see that high protein intake and high saturated fat intake are associated with aging and disease and an, ad- an additional and key vote against a high protein, high saturated fat diet. So uh, maybe maybe this Atkins is not the best and uh, it's obviously backed up by research. So he kind of uses these pillars as a way to determine what exactly is good for us to put in our bodies and what, what kind of stuff we should avoid. So chapter four, the longevity diet, uh, he starts out with the expression of you are what you eat. So this is a very popular expression, but it actually reflects a lot of deeper truths. So the food you eat can determine how you look and function, whether you sleep well or not, whether you stay thin or gain weight, and whether your body shape is more like a pear or an apple. And also the type of food you eat also determines your brain whether your brain will use glucose or ketones to obtain energy. And it also, and if you're a woman, the type and quantity of food you eat can affect your chances of becoming pregnant. So it's important to eat food you really enjoy, but it's also important to eliminate or minimize consumption of foods that will make your life shorter and sicker and to increase the consumption of nutrients that will make your life longer and healthier. So he goes through like the different types of macronutrients, like protein, carbs, fats, and also micronutrients. Um, I talked about this a little bit in Slouch and Panda's book, uh, The Circadian Code. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip this section. Um, so again, nutrition is clearly one of the most important fact. It's it's the most important factor you can take control of to affect how long you live, and whether you will be diagnosed with certain major diseases and whether you will be active or strong or sedentary and frail in, in old age. So again, nutrition is one of the, it's the most important controllable factor. And there's always this ongoing joke about, you know, within the, within the aging um, and scientific community, community, they're always like, oh, what's, what's one of the, you know, one of, what's one of the things that can uh, make you live the longest? And People always say, oh, choose the right parents. Because obviously genes is ultimately the most important factor. But that's it's not something you can control, really. So the most important controllable one is exactly, you know, your nutrition. So caloric restriction, mice, monkeys, and humans. So if you remember from part two of David Sinclair's book, he begins with a very, like, simple statement. He states that, if there is one sure way that I can make you live longer, it's eat less. That's something David Sinclair said in his in his uh, in his book part two. If there's one surefire way that I can make you live longer, eat less. And again, Walter Longo agrees, and he's showing that here. You know, caloric restriction has an abundant amount of health benefits uh, to us. So. High protein intake, as he explains, causes the activation of this growth hormone receptor, which in turn increases the level of insulin and insulin-like growth factor. And also certain proteins and amino acids, like leucine, for example, they can activate TOR-S6K 
and also PKA as well. So I just listed these hormones, I mean these uh, genes, that these are the aging genes, you know, quote-unquote aging genes that Walter Longo uh, is stating that is contributing to our aging. IGF, TOR, PKA. This is what high-protein intake is doing to us. It's actually stimulating growth hormone receptor and causing an increase in insulin and IGF as well. So essentially, by reducing caloric intake, and particularly the ones from proteins and sugars, you can decrease the activities of these of the growth hormone receptor and thus lower TOR6, S6K, and also PKA genes. And these findings represent the basic juventology research pillar that he, he dis- discusses. So we've known for nearly 100 years that when mice are fed about 30 to 40% fewer calories, they lived longer and also developed half the amount of tumors and other diseases when compared to the, the group of mice receiving a normal calorie diet. But again, we know we kind of have to take into consideration this extreme chronic caloric restriction, we can, which can also take a toll on our body. So we've known on, you know, on the other hand, this chronic caloric restriction can have, uh, you know, profound beneficial effects on risk factors for many diseases. But at the same time, it can also negatively affect, you know, our wound healing, immune response, cold temperature tolerance. So it's benefits by causing a major increase in other types of diseases if we end up calorically restricting ourselves too much. So, you know, don't go on these 40-day, 50-day fast. It's good to just throw in a, a fasting mimicking diet or alternate day fasting or some sort of fasting, but don't take it to, to an extreme where you're putting, you're putting your, your immune system at, at, you know, at risk. So I've been talking a lot about you know, this longevity diet, but he actually goes into some detail about what he believes is the optimal diet for minimizing disease and also maximizing a, health, a healthy lifespan based on these five pillars that he talks about. So I'm going to go through the list. And the first one is following a pescatarian diet. So aim for a diet that is close to 100% plant and fish based, limiting fish consumptions that are two to three portions of two to three portions a week and avoiding fishes with high mercury content. Now the second thing is consume low but sufficient proteins. So you want to consume somewhere between 0.31 to 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight per day. So for example, if you weigh 130 pounds, that comes to about 40 to 47 grams of protein per day. Now, finally, this, this diet should be free of animal protein. So like red meat, white meat, and cheese, with the exception of proteins from fish, but relatively high in other vegetable proteins like legumes and nuts. So again, we know this, these animal proteins, they, they drive cancer growth. They, they are the ones driving the most mTOR. They're the ones driving the most IGF. So it's good to have protein, but get it from some sort of vegetable protein or get it from fish. So that's the second recommendation. Thirdly, minimize bad fats and sugars and maximize good fats and complex carbs. So your diet should be rich in good unsaturated fats like those found in olive oil, salmon, almonds, walnuts. And likewise, the diet should be rich in complex carbs like those in legumes, vegetables, but low in sugars and limited in pasta, rice, bread, and fruit juices. So next, we need to be be nourished. 
So you want to think of your body as like an army and it often needs this like ammunition and equipment to help protect it against, you know, to help in its defense system. So we need these minerals. We need omega-6s. We need vitamins. And we even need sufficient levels of sugar to help fight many of these battles raging inside and outside of our cells. So when our intake of some nutrient becomes too low, the body's repair system, it gets hampered and it eventually allows the accumulation of stuff that can kill us like fungi, bacteria, or viruses. Now, next is eating a variety of foods from your ancestry. This is something Ben Greenfield stresses all the time. We need to be eating like our grandparents and not like in the literal terms of eating what they're eating, like eating, uh, you know, exactly how they're eating, but more like eating what they used to eat that was healthy. So again, eating like your grandparents and this can kind of help avoid certain intolerances and also potentially, you know, help you not get these autoimmune autoimmunities as well. Next is eating twice a day plus a snack. Um, that's another recommendation he states. Next is ob- observe time-restricted eating. I talk about TRE in Sachin Panda's book, so go reference that. Next is practice periodic prolonged fasting. So we get into FMD, literally that half of this book is about fasting mimicking diet. So I'm going to save that for later. And then finally is follow the eight points above in such a way that you reach and maintain a healthy weight and abdominal circumference. So again, to kind of to kind of summarize, you can do certain things that can improve your health. And it's backed by these five pillars. Following a pescatarian diet, consume low but sufficient protein, minimize bad fats and sugars, be nourished, eat a variety of foods from your ancestry, eat twice a day plus a snack, and observe time restricted eating and also practice periodic prolonged fasting. These are the kind of the eight points that uh, can add to your longevity. Now, I'm going to move forward and talk about one specific pillar, which is the centenarian studies. Remember, this is one of the pillars of Walter Longo's five pillars. And we're looking at centenarian studies, and we're beginning our discussion with Okinawa. So Okinawa is this very place, in, very famous place in Japan. And if you were to compare Okinawan diets from Americans, you can see that American seniors ate 10 times more meat, poultry, and eggs, and three times more fruit but far less fish, half the vegetables, and also one-third of the grains that the Okinawans did. Now, other than the diet, physical activity is also a key factor for longevity and health. And this is something seen with the Okinawans. You know, what they are doing is moving a lot, and I'll talk about that a little later. And another thing some, someone observed was that these Okinawans, they were very spiritual and relied on both doctors and shamans. And another important point is that these people had uh, a sense of purpose, you know, a will to live. This is another, like, very common thing that's overlooked is, like, having a purpose in your life. So we keep talking about more blue zones, like uh, Molochio, Italy is a blue zone. And he didn't have to ask much about his diet, about people people's diets here, because it was very similar to what his grandf- grandfather ate. So dark bread, olives, olive oil, 
walnuts, almonds, stockfish, tomatoes, and most of all, and almost every day was this pasta e venier, which is the pasta dish with lots of vegetables and beans, like green beans in the pod. Um, so yeah, and then one thing he also observed in this Molchio area, which is again where he grew up, was this idea that a lot of times these centenarians would end up moving in with their sons or daughters' families. And because the younger generation adopted more of a modern diet, Walter Longo speculated that transitioning to a higher protein diet with more animal-based ingredients uh, may actually have helped these people live to the age that they're at. So, kind of, kind of uh, in other words, we know that IGF, insulin growth factor, is one of these accelerated aging genes. But as we get older, IGF, like once we get past 65... IGF actually begins to drop lower and lower. And we know that IGF and other hormones uh, contribute to aging, but they can also reach very low levels after the age of 80, he states. So maybe for the first like 60, 65 years of your life, you can kind of eat this 0.3 to 0.6 grams of protein per pound of body weight. But eventually switching to a diet richer in proteins may actually be protective to us and help us live longer as we get older. Um... That's something Gabriel Lyon, Dr. Gabriel Lyon states as well. Like we need, as we get older, we need to have more protein. Um, now we we talk about Sardinia as well and other blue zones, but I'm gonna save that discussion when I talk about Dan Butner's blue zones. Eventually, I'll I'll end up discussing that book, um, and also Loma Linda as well. I'm gonna save these passages for when I discuss Dan Butner's blue zones. So that is the first four chapters and the very last chapter is all about exercise and also a healthy uh, and how it contributes to health and longevity so what physical activity is best for health health healthy longevity it's the one you enjoy the most but also the one you can also incorporate into your daily schedule and one that you can keep doing up to, you know on your 100th birthday and beyond essentially he's not talking about running weekly marathons and pounding your body to to the ground but we when when we do look at these blue zones we see that all these blue zones when it comes to exercise they enjoy you know this physical work and they do it all their lives all throughout the day you know this constant low low impact movement throughout the day that is really the secret of these blue zones um you know, and that's that's something we don't see in the United States. We're living such a sedentary lifestyle. So um, he has some guidelines here. For example, walk fast for an hour every day. Ride, run, or swim 30 to 40 minutes every other day, plus two hours on the weekend. Uh, use your muscles. Remember, like, humans evolved as a species that walked, ran, climbed trees and hills and used a variety of muscles all the time. So... This is uh, what we should be doing as well as resistance training. Now, he goes into a bunch of studies um, showing how exercise can actually like, reduce overall mortality. And um, I won't go into, go into the details, but that's essentially what he's talking about. And as far as protein intake, again, to maximize muscle growth, consume at least 30 grams of protein in a single meal one or two hours after a relatively intense weight training session. So that is Walter Longo's, you know, chapter one through chapter five. Um, 
it's kind of a kind of the brief intro and essentially the rest of the book is talking about fmd which is his trademarked fasting mimicking diet and we talk about how fmd can impact all things from autoimmunity to you know alzheimer's diabetes cancer stuff like that so uh, that is part one of the longevity diet by dr walter longo i hope you enjoyed i hope you learned something again i'll leave my instagram in the episode description make sure to leave a review and i hope you tune in next time for part two and part three